Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement. Uh, Today is December 28th, 2020, and we're continuing our study through Lifeline's uh, Statement of Faith. And so today we're going to be looking at the statement regarding uh, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And so our, our statement of faith says, We believe in the physical resurrection of the crucified body of our Lord, in his ascension into heaven, and his present life there for us as our high priest and advocate, providing a sufficiency for body, soul, and spirit for the believers. Um, you know, we, we really believe that the uh, the resurrection is uh, is a defining doctrine for us, and it's it's really important that we embrace the resurrection in all of its fullness. Um, there's been a, a history throughout the um, the history of the church of people trying to attack the resurrection for uh, for various reasons. Um, it, those attacks go back all the way uh, to the Apostle Paul's writing of. The letter of First Corinthians. Um, there was there was an attack against the early church, trying to disprove the resurrection, and and ultimately why? Because because the resurrection is so central to our faith, and and if we if we do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead bodily, uh, and and if we do not believe that he uh, yet remains alive, then uh, then that substantially changes uh, who and who we place our, our faith and trust in. And, uh, and and what we believe that ultimately Christ has accomplished in his death and in his work. And so today we're going to kind of unpack why that's so important to us. Uh, we're going to be looking uh, at some truths that come out of First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read a couple of verses for you just to, uh, to kind of uh, frame this up. Beginning of verse 17, and Paul really writes about the resurrection throughout chapter 15, but this is kind of a kind of a central verse, almost a you know like a, a, a the thesis statement. Uh, he says, "And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worth, worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone." And uh, and essentially, what what the Apostle Paul is is pressing in for us to understand is that um, Jesus is not just an ethical teacher. The principles of Christianity are not just a uh, a set of a set of principles to live by in order to have a better life. That that ultimately Jesus is the way to eternal life, and and Jesus can't be the the way to eternal life unless uh, unless his death led to his resurrection. And and we're going to talk about you know, why that is. Um, Paul in, in, in chapter 15 of first Corinthians presents the resurrection as the pivotal doctrine in Christianity. Uh, you know, rightly, um, he says that the bodily resurrection of Jesus, um, demonstrates his dominion over creation and sin and death. Um, moreover, we believe that the ascension of Jesus, Jesus going to, to be with the Father, um, ultimately, um, and, and then his presence in heaven are the evidence of uh, the finished work of salvation by Jesus and, and his role as 
the high priest who makes a way between us and God. And so um, if we believe that the resurrection is only symbolic, as uh, as some have tried to argue, um, ultimately, or, or that, it's, that it was only a spiritual resurrection, ultimately we deny the true deity of Jesus and we deny the, the work of Jesus. And so you know, a couple of themes uh, to keep in mind as, as we as we think about um, the significance of the resurrection. A couple of themes that that we can can focus on. One is that the resurrection provides us uh, evidence of God's love, um, and and then evidence of His intimate involvement with His creation. So we know that God loves us. That God loves His creation. We know that God is 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 intimately involved in His creation. Why? Because because Jesus took on flesh and became fully man and 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 walked in you know walked in this earth and in our struggles uh, and and we know that that ultimately is not God being aloof or being distant but that's that's God coming and God pursuing us uh, for salvation and so um, Jesus came exactly the way he did in his incarnation as a real person in a real place at a real time because we had chosen uh, evil and and we had chosen rebellion against our creator and because the world is no longer good. Um, but this is a sign that God hasn't given up on this world, uh, that God loves his creation and he loved his creation to the point of becoming a human being and suffering death in order to free us from our own evil. And so in this, we see that that in that act, um, Jesus is uh, proclaiming the coming kingdom of God. And ultimately, the resurrection proved the authenticity of Jesus' claim to the throne, that, that Jesus is the rightful king of the world. And, and the reason we know that is because he conquered the one limitation that the rest of the world and the rest of creation can't conquer. Um, it, it also, we know that kind of another theme that we see out of understanding the resurrection is, um, is, is this idea that, um, that, that there is a, there's a fruit that's produced or of conquering death and hell in the grave. And, and so as I, you know, as I just said, the, the, the one unconquerable for us is, uh, is the grave. Um, and that death, hell, and the grave are an inevitable for us apart from the, the work of God. And, and so, um, we know that this that, that Jesus' death ultimately um, accomplished an atoning sacrifice. That He absorbed the poison of our sin into Himself. Um, that that He atoned for what we could never possibly atone for. Um, because Jesus actually conquered death and actually rose again in a physical form, um, He points to the hope ultimately also that we will rise again if we're His. Um, 1 Corinthians 15:20 just after the verses that I read earlier says that that he is the first fruits of the resurrection in other words he's the, he's the beginning of a harvest that's ultimately going to include all of the church and so we have the hope of resurrection we have the hope of eternal life um, because because we can and, and we know that that is true because we know God has the power to resurrect because of, of what he did himself um, in the person of Jesus. 
We also know that that harvest is going to include a new heaven and a new earth. And so the entire social order and the entire cosmos is going to be renewed um, and that and that the, the resurrection of Jesus is ultimately um, God's deposit toward that end. It, it's, it's sort of like God put the plan on layaway, right? Like there's a, there's a deposit that's been made, but ultimately God is going to um, God is going to pay the, 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 the full price has been paid and God is going to redeem the full um, the, 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 the full uh, expanse of creation uh, at, a, at a later time, but ultimately the transaction um, happened, the fullness of the transaction happened in, in the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to look at, at really 10 things really quickly here that, that reasons that the resurrection of Jesus um, then are important to us. Well, number one is the resurrection of Jesus means that we're justified before God. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justification means that in, in a legal sense, um, we've been put right with God. Um, that that the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus confirms um, that, that God accepted Christ's sacrifice for sin on the cross and, and that we're given access to right relationship with him because we've been declared right. Um, even though we may struggle, uh, continue to struggle with sin, that there's, there's a point where we have, been, we have been redeemed from the penalty of sin, and that's a reality for us today, and that we are the children of God. Second thing, the resurrection of Jesus shows that uh, that Jesus defeated death. Romans six nine, um, and and you know we know that in this life there is a great struggle against death. Um, the you know we know in the midst of this COVID pandemic that that we are struggling greatly against um, against death and and against illness um, through seeking after vaccines and 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 wearing masks and distancing ourselves. But but here's a counterbalancing reality. The mortality rate for life is and always will be 100%. Um, right? The, the, none of us have a hope of, of life after death. None of us have a hope of being raised from the dead um, absent of Jesus because Jesus is the only one that has ever accomplished that. Um, and, and ultimately, Christ rose from the dead because death could no longer hold him. But we no longer have to fear death because Christ triumphed over it. Death is no longer an enemy to us because in Christ we no longer have to fear the punishment that comes after death. And so Jesus has created another way, um, and the resurrection is ultimately um, the moment and the evidence of that new way. Number three, uh, the resurrection of Jesus means that believers are united with Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Uh, union with, with Christ means that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our unrighteousness, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And, and it means that, that if we have died with Christ, if, if, we have, if we've submitted our lives to Jesus and we have died with him, it means that we are also, we are also then raised to live with him. Um, you know, this is, and, and this union is, uh, is complete that we are, we are now in Christ and we are now judged, uh, according to, and we are being made in the image of the righteousness of Christ. It's, you know, it's similar to when a man, when a man and a woman unite in marriage, um, 
you know, spouses don't, or at least they shouldn't, um, you know, keep like separate bank accounts. We like we bring our resources together. We we have what we have in common. Why the possessions of one become the the possessions of both, and 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 ultimately it, it's it's a it's a manifestation of the two becoming one. We become one even in those things that we have, and and so you know in a in a much greater sense. I think this is why God uh, is is so protective of marriage, and I think why this is why marriage is so under attack, and why gender and sexuality and all those things are so under attack in our society because there's such a powerful picture of how we can be united to Christ and what it means to be united to Christ. Um, and so um, Christians are able to receive the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because it becomes community property when, when we are in union with Christ. When we're united with Christ in salvation, then, then his righteousness is extended to us. Um, we bring the only thing we bring into the relationship is we bring our sin and our brokenness, and His sacrifice has covered that so that we can participate um, in His righteousness. Number four, the resurrection of Jesus confirms the truth of Scripture. You only have to look at passages like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 16 to see, you know, the many examples of of where the Scriptures, the Old Testament, prophesied about the resurrection of Jesus. Isaiah 53: 10 through 12. Yet it was was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Talking about Jesus. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Talking about his sacrifice and his death. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities again, uh, his atoning sacrifice. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In other words, that Jesus paid the price, but Jesus is now in the place of making intercession for us with the Father. Psalm 16, um, you know, verses 10 and 11, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so again, in the ascension, Jesus rose from the dead bodily, physically, um, as completely as he possibly could, and then in his physical body uh, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Why? Because because he's ascended to the throne that, that he ultimately validated his claim for by rising from the dead. Number five, the resurrection of Jesus proves that, that the gospel is true. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The fact that Jesus is alive today means that he is able to save today. Um, this is what Paul's saying, and in, 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 this is his argument in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, he def- defends the truth of the resurrection by, by explaining that the entire Christian gospel depends on it. Um, Paul explains that the resurrection is not only a fundamental part of the gospel, but it's the glue that holds every part of the gospel together. Um, without it, Christians are believing in vain, and, and we really don't have hope. But since Christ was raised from the dead, we have hope of having our sins forgiven. We have hope of being made right in God's sight, and we have the hope of eternal life um, through Christ. 
Number six, the resurrection of Jesus proves that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans 1, 4. He, Christ, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is a proof that Jesus was unlike any other man that has ever lived because he was fully human, but he was also fully God. If Jesus would have died and remained dead, he would be like the millions who went before him and the millions that, are, that have come after him. But that's not what happened. Christ's resurrection proves that he is someone of unique status, that he is uniquely the Son of God. Number seven, the resurrection of Jesus means that the Holy Spirit will be poured out into the hearts of those who believe. After Christ had risen and ascended, he was able to send the promised Holy Spirit to continue his work on earth. This means that Christ's earthly ministry continues today through us, through his people, in whom he dwells by the Holy Spirit. This also means that that. Christ will help people by the Spirit, strengthening us, convicting us, guiding us into the life that God desires for us. Acts 2.33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a result of the victory that, that, was, that was sealed in the resurrection. Number eight, the resurrection of Jesus um, gives Christians a living hope. Being forgiven of our sins and justified before God gives Christians, it gives us tremendous hope. We are changed from being an enemy of God bound for hell to becoming a forgiven son of God with an eternal inheritance in heaven that can never be taken away from us. And ultimately, what is better news than that? First Peter, um, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You know, we know the reality of here at Lifeline as a, as a ministry working in adoption. And part of adoption means that our children are adopted into families, in, into our families, and, and they, they have a name, they have a place to belong, but they also have an inheritance. That, that, that their, their adoption means that they are included in the inheritance and, and, and given, a, given a full share in the inheritance of of, of parents. Um, that's true of us in a much greater sense with God, that because we have been adopted into the family of God, because of the work of Jesus, which was ultimately sealed in the resurrection, and the re resurrection is the proof statement that, that we have this inheritance and it is being kept for us in heaven um, to, be, to be given to us on the last day. The resurrection of Jesus, number nine, means that we will be raised like him. Um, again, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15 describes um, the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead, meaning that his resurrection is a precursor to the resurrection of all believers. In, in verse 21, 20, 21 and 22 of chapter 15, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
all those that are in Christ, all those that have participated um, by following Jesus in his sacrifice will ultimately be brought to the place of resurrection and, and, that, and that we will, um, we will be raised to, to enjoy life forever um, with Christ. Number 10, finally, uh, implication of the resurrection here is the resurrection of Jesus means that, that Christ will judge the world in righteousness. Now, this is that ultimately the resurrection means that Jesus is, is showing himself valid to be the one who judges the living and the dead. Um, we know in the past, and when we look at, at the Old Testament, that, that we, we understand that God has overlooked um, the, the times of ignorance. He, he, has, he has overlooked the, the disobedience of, of those who are, who, are, who are outside of his atoning sacrifice, um, that, 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 but that God was setting about the process um, so that all people everywhere need to repent. Um, because ultimately, God has fixed a day upon on which he will judge the world in righteousness, um, and, and he will judge them based on the standard of a, man, of a man he appointed, and that standard is Jesus. And and he's given us assurance of this um, by, by raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus rising from the dead is evidence that that the eternal judgment is is going to happen. So what do we know? We know that all the world one day will be judged for the things that they have done and be be held accountable before God. Um, and that that's both believer and unbeliever. Um, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, John 11, 25 and 26. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he Yet he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked this question. He says, do you believe this? And so one of the implications that we don't want to walk away from about the resurrection is that the resurrection of Jesus ultimately has an implication that people will be judged because Jesus is, is, is the just and right judge of the living and the dead. And, and so we need to be mindful of that by being men and women who give our lives to sharing the gospel of Jesus with people that don't know it. That the implication of the gospel is that there will be millions and millions of men and women and boys and girls who will live forever because they have they have trusted Christ for salvation because they are in Christ and because because they are now counted among the children of God because of the work that Jesus has done. But the counterbalancing reality is that there are there are millions and millions billions of people who are living apart from Jesus who are dying apart from Jesus and they will spend eternity um, knowing that that they missed the opportunity, knowing that they are apart from Christ and they will suffer the right judgment for their sins. And and so so what do we need to do? We need to be the people who are who are who are are, are working to uh, to tell them. We need to be be the people who are stretching our lives to warn them and to tell them and and ultimately to bring the gospel to them. Why? Because because it because because Christ died for them. Now, we're going to turn our attention just a second to, to think about the ascension. And, and a really, Tim Keller has been incredibly helpful for me to, to think about some of the implications of this. And so I'm just going to parrot some things that I've, that I've heard that, um, 
that Keller has said about the ascension and, and about the significance. And so when Jesus ascended to heaven, um, that, that first the ascension was about Jesus going to take his place um, as the new king and, and the head of the human race, that ultimately Jesus had, had proved his authority and, and he, had, he had grasped um, his throne and his right to reign over all of humanity. Um, and that, and that, it, that the ascension, in some ways, um, according to Keller, is um, that that the ascension is ultimately like a coronation ceremony, um, because ultimately he says, now if Jesus merely wanted to return to the Father, he could have just vanished. Um, there were other times when he vanished immediately out of sight, as with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But instead, instead, at the ascension, Jesus literally rises up into the clouds and disappears into the distance of the heavens. Why did he do it that way? We can only speculate, but it may have been for the same reason that we have a coronation ceremony. In other words, Jesus picked this grand way to be able to leave this life and, and, and to wait until the, the appointed time for him to usher in the fullness of his kingdom. Why? Because, because he was demonstrating that he's really the king. Um, the, the second thing that we, that we see in the, in the ascension is that, that Jesus left the limitations of space and time and, and passed directly into the presence of the Father. Again, relying on Keller, at the ascension, Jesus leaves the space-time continuum and passes in to the presence of the Father. He is still human. He is still the, our second Adam and still our advocate. Yet now he has been so glorified that everything he does has a cosmic scope. Any space-time limitation passes away. In other words, the ascension is, is a dramatic view into the fact that Jesus is not limited by time nor space and that he rules over everything in the cosmos. Um, and so then, and then finally, um, Keller points to three implications about um, about the ascension. Number one, that, that the ascension shows that Jesus is supremely personal. So Jesus doesn't just vanish away into nothingness. He, he ascends to the Father among the people who, who were following him most closely. And, and that signifies to us that he was leaving them, but he was leaving them in a, in a, in a very personal way um, and shows that he's still accessible for loving communication and for fellowship. It also shows that Jesus is supremely powerful. Um, it shows that he's taken his throne as the sovereign over every part of the created order. And then the final thing is it shows that Jesus is our supreme advocate, that he has arisen to a place where he is sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. And that means that we know that we can be forgiven, accepted, and delighted in by God. And so, again, to quote Keller, he says, so when the Bible says that Jesus stands as our advocate and representative before the throne of the universe, it is a way to say that he has ascended and not just levitated. It doesn't mean doesn't matter what you have been or what you have done. It doesn't matter how flawed and foolish you are. When the eyes of God the Father look at you, they see the ascended Jesus. When they listen to you, they hear him. When, when God looks and listens to you, he sees and hears infinite beauty. He sees Jesus not sitting at the, at the right hand, but standing on his behalf advocating for him. 
And so ultimately, um, I pray today that you're encouraged by these words about the resurrection and, and we'll, we'll take that forward this week as we close out this week of 2020 to, to reflect on what it is that Jesus accomplished, but, but also what it means for us um, that Jesus rose from the dead and that ultimately Jesus is alive today at the right hand of the Father. And, and, and we know that Jesus is there um, receiving our prayers and making intercession for us. And so today we want to we wanna be careful to pray uh, as well uh, to the Lord for things that are on our hearts and things that are important. Um, this week, we're praying, praying for Lifeline's Families Count Ministry. Um, a few things we want to pray for upcoming trainings in Florida, Alabama, Kentucky, Texas, and Kansas. Um, we want to certainly ask for God's protection and health uh, over and, and travel over the participants and the trainers as they come together um, to, to be trained to advocate and to work on behalf of uh, at-risk families through Families Count and to bring the gospel to bear through the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, leaning in in relationship to these families. We want to pray for church reopenings. We, we want to ask the Lord to make our church partners aware uh, of the dire need to engage with these, these families, these parents and families that are seeking reconciliation um, from their brokenness and in, in the midst of the child welfare system. Um, we want to. We want churches to uh, to to really see the families we serve in this ministry uh, as as a as a as a need to reopen their ministry doors for families count classes. We want to pray for vulnerable children and and for vulnerable parents. Let's ask the Lord to pursue them with His unfailing love and to bring lost families to families count classes so that they can hear the gospel and believe. Uh, we also want to ask the Lord uh, for for salvation of these families that believing parents who've come to know Jesus would share the gospel with their children from whom they've been separated um, in in the child welfare system. We want to ask that the Lord continue to give us favor among judges and other professionals and practitioners. Uh, we want to ask the Lord to soften the hearts of those people whose permission we need in order to be able to hold classes and in order, in order for churches to be able to bring the gospel to bear in the lives of these vulnerable families. And finally, we want to pray for our team. We want to ask that the Lord uh, would continue to provide an anointing of his Holy Spirit on our team and on the work that we're called to do. Um, we are in need of clear vision and godly wisdom in order to be able to lead with excellence and to walk out um, the stewardship of, of, of this thing in family's count that God has given us um, to, to bring to bear in the body of Christ on behalf of um, vulnerable families who, who desperately need to know and follow Jesus. And so today, uh, we want to pray for these things. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the, uh, th this thing of Families Count, this ministry, um, to, to be able to teach parenting classes and to bring the gospel to bear in the lives of families uh, that, are, that are broken and, 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 God, families that are at the point of being broken, um, God, families that are, that are shattered by by the circumstances uh, in their lives and, and the things happening around them. And so, God, we, we know that these families have been separated by, uh, by things like addiction and indifference and, and neglect. And, and, but, but, God, we also know that you have the ability um, to, 
to reconcile the broken, that you have the ability and the, and the, the, the power of the gospel means that you have the ability um, to, to make over and to heal our lives and to bring wholeness where brokenness existed. But, Lord, we also know that the gospel has the power to heal relationships and to, and, and to heal circumstances. And so, God, we pray that you would work in the lives of these families through the church, that, God, you would use your church to be your hands and feet to these families. God, we pray that you would help Lifeline to, to prepare churches and to come alongside and to create the conditions that are necessary in order to minister to these families well. And, God, we pray that you would open doors and create opportunities for the church to be able to put Jesus on display and and to be able to tell people who are dying desperately um, to know of the truth of the gospel and the hope that only comes through Jesus. And so, Lord, today we thank you for Families Count. We thank you for our team and for all of those who, who are working to advocate on behalf of the vulnerable. But more than that, those that are, that are working to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear in the lives of families um, that and, and to bring them real hope. And so, Lord, we pray that, that all that we do uh, would bring honor and glory to you and ultimately um, that, that, that those that our efforts would contribute to the building of your kingdom, which will never end. Um, and so it is to your glory. And, and God, it is, it, it is ultimately um, to the fame of your name that we pledge ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Defender Bible Study. Um, we will continue our study in, uh, in Lifeline's doctrinal statement. We'd love to hear from you if there are things that, uh, that, that, that we might answer questions or, or point you to, to ways that you can care for orphan and vulnerable children well, um, bringing the gospel to bear in the lives of those who are vulnerable. You can reach out to us at lifelinechild.org. Um, or on our social media accounts at Lifeline Child. And so once again, this is Rick Morton. Thank you for joining us for the Defender Bible Study, and uh, we pray that you have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.